Hello and welcome to the D&D 420 podcast. This is a show dedicated to helping you become a better dungeon master. I'm your host, Eric M. Hunter, and I am a struggling game master trying to figure out how to tell a better story. Joining me shortly is Jimmy Shields. He is the creator of D&D 420 and an avid D&D fan with over 30 years of experience. In this episode, we have a very special guest, a very good friend of ours who is part of the D&D 420 Guild, Nathan. Uh, he's been a dungeon master for the better part of 10 years. Loads of experience. I personally have played in a couple of his games and his worlds are so well crafted and interesting and um, odd in most places that help jarg the senses that um, we couldn't not have him on the show. So this episode, we go back to the original four sessions of the show I think we've done so far and kind of get his perspective on everything from character development uh, to environments and story building and campaign and outlining. Um, so I hope you guys pull something away from this episode to get another perspective of a very good DM. All right, so I am happy to announce we have a very special guest with us. Nate is a huge fan of d and I've played in two of your games, I believe, now. Um, just a, a wonderful storyteller, lots of in-depth um, knowledge in terms of taking time with developing your world. So I'm really excited to have you on the podcast with us. Um, and this all, this whole episode is basically just to get a different perspective of the things that we've been talking about in the past four episodes. So if it works for you guys, we can just kind of take it episode by episode and let me pull my notes up. All right. So episode one, uh, was basically just how do you start a D and campaign? Um, and my idea was to start with kind of a rough outline and then we kind of moved on from there in terms of uh, how we discuss in characters and stuff like that. So, Nate, uh, can you kind of talk to us about how, when you personally start building a campaign, like what are your, these are my five steps when I first start designing a campaign? Five, Nate. I want five. five. We're going to bullet them, list them. Not four. Not three. And definitely five. not six. Doing five. Or, or, or as five. many as you got. I mean, as yeah, just whatever works out. Yeah. Um, well, the first one is important about the world you're playing in or the general setting, um, whether it's like a pre-constructed one like Greyhawk or Forgotten Realms or uh, just one that you're homebrewing. Because um, that's that's that Greyhawk. Yeah. yeah right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so that sets you know the backdrop of your story and and kind of helps you. Um, put like the elementary things into it um second i think is collecting backstories from your players as early as possible is um good because some players will give you really awesome and in-depth backstory some of them will not uh, but the ones that give you material helps you as a story writer kind of fill in gaps or give you ideas to go along and and tying their I feel immerses and engages those players more and um, makes it feel more special to them, you know, like, yeah, I feel like that's, that's something that, and maybe again, this is just me being new for the most part to all of this, but like, well, yeah, of course the players are important. Of course the characters that they're playing are important, but like, no man, that is, that is the foundation 
of all of this. Like you could have if all you, the coolest yeah. shit in the world. If you really want to run a great game where your players are involved and they they go home week after week and say, "Oh my god, I can't fucking believe it." Then they've got to be involved. They've got to be the most important thing. Because if you're just gonna run a pre-constructed game, that's cool. But more often than not, it's not gonna end that way. It's gonna be cool. It's gonna be fun. They're gonna have a good time. But th- we're talking about making your game better and really engaging your players. And this right. is yeah. I mean, because in the end, like writing the story and running the game is fun for the DM. But in the end, like they're the ones who's going to enjoy it the most is the players, the ones that you've invited, the ones you're hosting it for. And um, those little hooks, you know, from their backstories really feed into that for them. And uh, you don't have to go, you know, hot and heavy on it immediately. You know, you can be three or four sessions in before you even hit at one of them. Uh, And again, it just kind of spices that up for them as they go. And then sometimes they have great ideas that you didn't think about that, you know, help lead into like a, like a sub storyline or exactly. uh, things of that nature. Yeah. I think we touched on that in one of this session or one of the uh, episodes, but um, it also kind of feeds into what we were talking about now, how we got so far in this, we got to episode four before I said, who are your fucking players, man? Right. Who are your players? Yeah. It, and, and knowing who they are, what their characters are going to be like, it kind of helps you gear things for them and and more toward them. Agreed. Yeah. And I mean, it also gives you kind of the thing we got stuck on where he was talking about the computer situation where it's not just your players, but those backstories, like you mentioned, Nathan, they're so important because it's not just a backstory. It also says, well, I have a rogue guy who specializes in computers. Oh, well I can do a hacking situation. Or uh, I have, you know, perhaps I've got two Jedi, you know, well, I better do something where Jedi are involved or they're going to be standing around with their thumb up their ass the whole time. Yeah. And sometimes like players will give you a real generic backstory like that, or sometimes they'll give you something really deep, like two pages worth of material. And, uh, just whatever they give you, you know, it's worth investing into for them because it's going to make the game more intriguing and engaging for them. And it's not even just the story. It's it's everything from your storyline to plot hooks, subplots. Um, what kind of checks are we going to be making throughout the game and how tough are they going to be? Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, if you got no – in D&D, if you got nobody who can climb, I doubt you're going to be going into a mountainous area. Right, so to me it feels more like it's, okay, I need to get this piece of information across or I need to get this very important item to somebody. How I do that and how that is conveyed is through the backstory. It's through the character's abilities. So like for the hacking the computer thing, again, to bring that up, it, it was less about how cool would it be to hack a computer. It's more about I need to get this very important piece of information to the group what is the most interesting way I can do it? And just off the top of my head, it's like, oh, we'll make it a computer. But again, you know, if there's nobody in the group knows how to hack, then it's worthless. But, you know, somebody might be good at interrogation. So now maybe one of the guys isn't, and one of the enemies isn't dead. And you can have this guy interrogate him or... Exactly. Whatever, the end result is always the same. It's just how you get there is what changes. 
Exactly. Uh, or the difficulty, because, I mean, you can do the computer situation with no hackers. You just got to make it a little easier because you can't give it a challenge rating 18 if nobody's got any points in it or they'll never get the information. So that'll help you set challenge ratings as well by by seeing those characters in front of you. Oh, well, I can't put this super computer giant mainframe impossible to get into thing if there's no hacker you can put a laptop there then <laughs> why not right. if that's if that like if that's your delivery computer. method right if that's your delivery method then you can make it a simple puzzle to get in for the characters or the players more so when i say puzzle i guess but that's you know depending on your style of play uh, sometimes their backstory even helps you generate npcs um, because if they have an in-depth backstory they may have uh, you know, people in that backstory, like let's say you're a soldier that was discharged from the Empire because you're doing a Star Wars game, uh, that you were discharged from the Empire because you had a particular issue with uh, a commander or a general. Um, you know, as the story goes on, you could incorporate that that particular character into the game. In fact, I believe you should at some point, at least in a small way. Mm-hmm. And it'll make that that person who wrote that backstory feel very special for that period of time, and uh, and that's that's another way of hooking people in and getting them more and more invested in your game. Uh, one of the things that we touched on in episode two was creating a DM played character, um, and Jim had mentioned that in a lot of circles, like it's a lot of other game masters are like you do not that is not something you do. Like NPCs are exactly what they're supposed to be, non playable characters. Nate, what is your position on that? What do you? What is your thought on that? I, I personally feel it depends on your party and um, the amount of players you have in your party. Like if you, if you're running a full party or whatever the amount is you're comfortable, whether it's four or five or six players, um, it may bog down the game a little bit. If you have a, a group that's like real heavy in the role playing and really good at it, then they can take the game on their own. Um, but some NPCs have to be in there to drive the story and direct the party. Um, they don't always need to be like by their side and a continuous member of this party, popping up sporadically or um, just some kind of loose connection is good, I feel. It just depends on what your party needs, too. Like if they don't have a healer, if they don't have a tank and you have to fill that particular slot, then NPCs are great for that. Yeah, that reminds me of a time with you guys where I made a mute, depressed uh, cleric who was touched by his god, and he never spoke a word, and he had all the feats where he could still cast, and he was chosen by his deity. You guys had a healer with you for a period of time, I, I believe, adventure, right? where there was the uh, mute, depressed healer. I believe so. I played in most of your games, so I'd, I would assume I was there. I think, yeah, I think you both were. Um, um, it, was I mean, a, it was just a cool way for me to add something in and say, you know, the the ability for me is there. And he had some really cool spells, and it was a really neat uh, situation. And I didn't have to cut you guys off. I didn't have to do a whole lot since he was kind of timid and meek. He didn't even get involved in combat. He was just there to heal you guys. Yeah, and then, see, that's perfect for that situation. Um I feel like in our, our current Sunday game, 
Like the players are all really good and engaged in the game and, and the role playing is pretty much active from the time we start to the time we finish that there isn't no need for like a prodding NPC to be there or, um, Right. It also kind of brings me back, though, that I'm kind of glad you said that, because that does in a game where you have a heavy role playing group playing an NPC that's not that involved, where when we as you notice, when we get to certain situations, I'll have somebody that I get to role play because I can go and turn the computer on and wait a half an hour for you guys to hit a part where you're not role playing. And I can kind of interject and say, "Okay, let's get the game moving now there for a half an hour sometimes and let you guys roll because you're giving me ideas you're role-playing you're in character the storyline is moving albeit kind of slowly at that point but who cares if it's ha- if we're all having fun but that's where playing like a dm npc um kind of comes in for me where they don't necessarily have a ton of abilities or they don't necessarily matter to the game it's just an time for me to get a chance to role play as well and to kind of help move the story along if the if the players are kind of yeah sometimes they sometimes they need prodding or you know they'll get bogged down um you just need to move them along um in a previous session you guys have talked about the death of npcs and uh i feel killing off npcs can have a huge impact on the game and make for a really good story, especially if it's like uh, an NPC that they've been connected to and, you know, they have a lot of dealings with. Um, it's like in the pirate's life, we had uh, Melf, right? We'd always show up and stop and visit him oh, and he would man. send us messages. I remember Melf. <laughs> right? <laughs> we, had a, we had a lot of, uh, he was with us all the time. But he was there, you know, when we needed him, we could stop by his place. He would give us supplies and advice and all this kind of stuff. Like, he eventually built this rapport with the group where we all knew him, we all liked him. Um, But if it would have come to, like, some kind of incident killing him or him dying, however, it would have made an impact and, uh, you know, stirred emotions within your players. Oh, it would have been huge, yeah. Yeah, and that's good. I mean, that's what you're trying to do as a DM is, you know, is affect your players on that kind of level. Yeah, my favorite thing to do is to make you feel emotions as your character. You get so involved in the story that you get upset, physically upset, as Oleg the Dwarf or whatever, you know. And then you can shut it off at the end of the day and be like, that was awesome. I was so mad as that dwarf. And you physically (laughs) felt that rush of anger into your body. That's at no other time to me. Personally, do I feel like that's the best connection to Dungeons and Dragons or any RPG that you can get is feeling that emotion as your character. Yeah, and it makes it makes good storytelling too. Um, I know me and Jim were talking about this the other day about when players drop from a game or whatever the case may be. Like, do you continue on with their character as an NPC or do you kill them off? Oh, uh, okay. So let's talk about that because that's a that's something we haven't talked about on the on the show before. Like that, that's super interesting. So because that's a real life thing. Like we're all we're older. We all have jobs. A lot of us have kids. You know, like it's getting down once a week. You think is not that big a deal until you hit your thirties and forties, and you're like, man, getting down once a week to play D anD D for a few hours is fucking tough. You know, it's like so. Okay, let's talk about that. That's interesting. Let's. So how do 
Um, Nate, we'll start with you. So how do you personally deal with a character who literally just like, I'm done, I got to go, I can't play anymore? <laughs> you don't know how relevant that is right now, Eric. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. weird, um, okay. So it's going gonna, it's gonna to depend on what kind of investment as a DM you have into that player. Like, how, how much are they tied into the big story arc, uh, the overall story arc, and things like that. The times I've had to do it, they weren't really attached too much to it. But they've been with the party since the beginning of the game. So, you know, they did, you know, 15, 16 sessions. And um, when I knew that they weren't going to be able to continue the game, I piloted the player as an NPC for one session. And then he died in a heroic way. It was this barbarian named uh, D. Payne. And, uh, they're in this like really tough fight and it was like a self-sacrificing kind of incident where I think he like charged forward and tackled the, the monster off of this ledge into this chasm. Reminiscent of the mighty wolf guard. Nice. Yeah, very much so. <laughs> and, uh, and, and the, it affected the players. Cause now this, he's, he's more than NPC, right? They've played with him for session after session. He had this personality that the player brought to life, um, all these like connections and now he's gone. And uh, he died in a very heroic way. Sometimes they can be, you know, they can die horribly or just depending on how your story's going and what's best for that. Um, but yeah, yeah that... you, you touch on a really nice point there too, like how connected to your story is it? And then we talk about these backstories and connecting your players and their <laughs> characters deeply into your story. And then when you do that and they quit just out of the blue, because of life getting in the way um that makes it seem like was it a mistake for me well hell no because of what you just said that did the exact thing that we were just talking about it created that emotional response when that particular character d pain died in combat so that ended up being a beautiful thing so it's all about how you handle those things and, you know, I'm dealing with it where that's exactly what's happened to me. See, D-Pain didn't tie much in with your story, but in my Sunday game, one of my longest-running pl players who, Eric, when you and Nathan both started in my game, you, Nate, and Bert all started at the same time. So um, I've been playing with you guys, what, 11 years plus, 12 years? Yeah, at least. Yeah, something like that, yeah. So that was the first game that Bert played in, too, and both of you, I think. And... um Bert's been pretty much a uh, a standard, staple. Yeah, yeah, a staple. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. And you know, he just he can't do it now. For he's got his reasons, and we spoke about that. But what I did is, this is Volcaminar, a dwarven city, where we've got everybody else is not a dwarf, and then Bert is playing this badass dwarf, who we start to find out he's got like these royal connections. And um, he's kind of on the lower end of the dwarven hierarchy. His clan is very small, uh, something like 30, 30 dwarves. And um, I had this really cool thing planned out for him in the future that I've sown all these seeds for. Everything from the cloak to the encounter with one of his ancestors to uh, co cool combat stuff that we couldn't have done without him being the dwarf character. Um, so things on a small level and things on a huge story arc level. And now I've got to decide how am I going to ha handle all that? Because so much went into it. Well, yeah, really he, <clears throat> he's tied yeah. deeply into the story and stuff. Um, 
so like losing him just like killing him off is, is not so easy yeah it's not <laughs> but you know we'll figure out what happens well yeah I don't, I, no, no spoilers but yeah it's gonna be really interesting to see how things play out and i'm really excited about all of that actually because it's gonna completely change the game now because we got another guy coming in to take his place and he's not playing a dwarf so the entire aspect of the party has changed because it's a dwarven society that you're going back to um and we kind of lost our ambassador he he was like you know our official ambassador to getting things from that side of the the gate for us yeah now your umbrella your protection your ambassador your your connection is gone yeah not sure how that's gonna work and it's it's fun to see how players are going to react and what they're going to do um after D Payne had died and they'd made it back to their their hometown, uh, they all pitched money forward to have this statue erected of D Payne in the middle of the town. He's forever etched into that kingdom now. Right? Yeah, yeah, he's it is was added into that town's description, and um, he even had like a, a sword that was on fire, and they had had that put into the statue's hand. Um, oh, that's very cool. That's cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, okay, so kind of going back into uh, NPCs, um, when we were talking about NPCs, Jim kind of laid out like a very no-nonsense way. Here's a bunch of character names, here's a bunch of characteristics, and then he kind of just picks and chooses. This is mainly just for like people that you need, that you randomly run into town, maybe need a bit of information, or maybe it's an item shop owner. Um, do you have anything that you kind of just always fall back on and of like your starting point and then build from when creating NPCs? Uh, you want to think about your story and like which MPs are crucial to have and which ones you're going to need to drive the story. And I feel those are the ones that are going to get the most flushed out. They're going to have backstories. They're going to have characteristics and probably even stats for those particular NPCs because they're more important to the story and you know that your players are going to have interactions with them. As far as like uh, randomly generating them, like you guys talked about on the last session, that's great for those like single serving NPCs that you'll come across bartenders, performers, town folk, um, things like that. Yeah. Anybody your, your players talk to that you didn't expect them to talk to. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And you know, I, I kind of wanted to add to that a little bit as well, because I felt like, um, I, I left, I left a piece off of there, um, about NPCs that I feel like is very important. And I, I think, it, you know, since it's D&D 420, I, I can make excuses all I want. <laughs> but um, the thing that I wanted to allude to, in addition to what I talked about, is there are your NPCs have jobs to do, not, not, not necessarily their profession so much as for the story. You know, there are types of NPCs to think about as well. You know, how are they going to move the story along? We keep talking about all oh, NPCs that move the story along and such, but how? You know, because if you have just NPCs that I don't know how they're going to interact and all that, then it's you're just kind of slinging at a wall at the wall and seeing if it'll stick. But if you give them each, like, uh, like you were talking about uh, earlier, Eric, an interesting piece of information because a character may have a good intimidate or you might be able to extract information or whatever. Right. Um, those are those are also things that's like, well, what what role is it play in the story? 
you know, and those types of things are, you need a heel or a bad guy. Um, how, how bad is he? You know, cause you can have bad guys on multiple levels. You can have your big bad guy. You can have his lieutenants, his commanders, his infantrymen, his grunts. You can also have bad guys that aren't necessarily attached to him or even a rival to this big main bag. And those are a lot of fun and also very important. Um, you can also have, uh, people who are bad, but they're not bad guys. You know, and what I mean by that is more so, um, they may be evil, but they're not up to evil. They might be doing things that aren't connected to the story. And, and these things might be meant to lead you off track a little bit. And you got to be careful with that because those are the sometimes the people that the players might latch on to, you know, um, and like you talked about with the, the guy earlier, maybe a messenger or you might need uh, people who help out or assistance to the group. And you might need people who are against the group, an antagonist who's not a bad guy at all, but maybe the group has done something uh, or has a bad person that hangs with them or a rogue or something like that, that they're trying to kind of go against the group or even compete with the group. So there are so, like, so, oh, so many different ways of, uh, of making these guys. Um, and having NPCs fill just a huge, and the more different types of NPCs you have there, filling these different like um, corners of your game, the more the more believable it's gonna feel in your world. Yeah, it feels like it's it's more full. You know, like there's there's an answer for everything basically, um, regardless of what the situation is. And then what you were mentioning before, like. Uh, reminded me of again of Pirate's Life, where Nate's character, or not Nate, Nick's character was, um, oh, what was he? He was a rogue of some sort, but he was like a backstabbing head of shadow. He was an assassin, I think. Yeah, in the, okay. end, of, in the end, right. And like he had his whole, like, yeah, I'm running around with this crew, and we're doing this thing, and we're flying the ship in space, and it's a lot of fun. Oh, what do you need me to do? He need me to take out? I'll just switch off real quick, you know. Like he had his own agenda, which seemed like. There were times, at least maybe in my mind, remembering back where it was like, oh, we did go to that one place for no reason, really, except for Nick's character had to run around and go do something. And then he came back and that was it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, just little things like that. That's the kind of like hook that's in the player's backstory that, you know, that you ride into. Like, if you know, they're going to be an assassin and they're going to have these kind of opportunities arise. Which is what Nick was doing a lot, you know. Right. And some players, that's that's all they want. And, you know, um, they, they want their character to grow and flesh out. And some players just want the story to do that. So it's about a balance, really. Um, that To me, that seems just intuitive or, yeah. um, like, natural. But it can be very difficult <laughs> when it comes down to making it feel that way because you know like you said we go someplace and his character might run off on a little mission so i'd have to keep the other players a little bit busy while he was able to go knife somebody in the back real quick right um so that can be a really delicate balance actually yeah and it's a matter of balancing your npcs too like the ones that you're going to invest a lot of time and effort into and then the ones that you're not 
like Mama Bink from the Blue Moon. Like she was a completely flushed out character, stats, backstory, all that. Um, but the other people that you met at the carnival, not as much. Oh, Mama Binks. That's one of the, you know, I, I answered a question who was my favorite NPC we'd ever run into, and I forgot about her. How did I forget about Mama? Like, oh, I talked yeah, about yeah. a different NPC, and Mama Binks was the one, man. That That's like the, the coolest NPC I've definitely ever met in a game. She was so she was, sweet. She was, she was, she was also scary. She's yeah, she scary was. as yeah. fuck. What, tell, tell us, just for fun here, we gotta, just tell us a little bit about Mama Binks. Give us a little bit of a, a rundown so that our listeners know who that we're, like, gushing over. Um, she was a elderly knoll and, um, kind of had a gypsy fortune teller, teller vibe to her, and, uh, she was a lead of this carnival that would just appear as, like, almost mystic. You might, might be lucky to find it once in your life. Um, kind of thing, and uh, she knew that these players were all going to be drawn to her, and she had a, a foresight about their their path and their destiny, and she was there to make sure that they started that path. Yeah, she gave us some really like cryptic information yeah. that by the end of the game was like, oh my god, that was amazing. I still remember the 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 first time we met her. It was my character and I want to say maybe Bert's character, but they were like, oh, no, you have to leave your weapons before you walk in. We're like, we're not going in. Like, this is terrifying. Like, we don't feel comfortable just taking yeah, our weapons down. We're going to a, a magic using Noel's right. little shit. <laughs> like, ah, oh, this seems like a bad idea. Yeah, yeah uh, and it, was, it was more like a sweat lodge that you guys yeah. were going yeah, into. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Eating that nasty-ass food. Um, yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so to kind of wrap up uh, all of this, uh, I want to end with uh, the last episode we just had, which was about session one, um, preparation for session one, expectations, that kind of thing. Um, so you know your characters, you have a kind of a quick outline of how the game, the entire campaign is going to go. What does Nate? What does your first session look like? Um, I think focusing on how the party meets and how to hook them into the story is, is important for session one. Um, Cause if it's not written in their backstories or, you know, key to the story that they know each other, uh, bringing them all together can be a big fun and memorable event. Like uh, again, for the blue moon, none of you guys, each other, but at the, at the, the fair, you all got tickets and, um, they darkened the the big top and uh, so many tickets glue blue and uh you know those people were asked to stay behind and you know receive this prize and it was all the party members whose tickets glue um yeah and that was that was a cool way to meet actually um but also kind of brings me to what i would say um is a very important session one focus would be interaction among the the characters um it could also mean interaction among the players because on our Sunday game, which is my main game, um, all these players have played together time and time again. So it's not about the players getting to know each other, but at a session one or even a session zero, um, like in my Saturday game, few of the players had ever played before either with me or together in a group. And some of them were meeting for the first time ever. And so that 
it's also about that, you know, you know, who are, who, who is this guy I'm about to role play with? And now that we're role playing, who is this guy that I'm about to go on an adventure with or girl or whoever, you know, who are these people I'm about to adventure with? Um, because I feel like if you don't focus on that at least a little bit, then you're going to have people that continuously generic this generic relationship and it's going to be difficult to put um, emotions in if you can make it to where these characters know each other in a way that's more than just superficial um, that's a huge bonus so that's a really nice thing to focus on yeah i feel like after just us talking and like looking back over things like session one is less about what happens in the session and more about just trying to get the players engaged, maybe into the point where it's like, Oh, again, knowing what the characters are and what the players and how they're going to play them. But like, Oh, you know, character a has this really cool feat that nobody else has. Maybe I should try to showcase that just to be like, Hey, look at this really cool thing that this guy can do to try to build that credibility back into the group. Because we talked about a little bit about um, how regardless of, how in-depth and in the game you want to play. There is always meta going on with your players. And it's like, and I explained that um, with the Saturday game where I'm playing with two people I've never played with before. So it's like, okay, I know they know how to play. I know, you know, they might know their characters, but it's like, I know I'm supposed to trust their characters in the game because I've known them for so many years, but like, do I trust the player who's playing the character? And so there was a very odd relationship building there because not knowing who these people are, not knowing who these characters are, you know, quote unquote out of game. It's like, yeah, okay. This guy's always got your back. He's been your best friend since high school. It's like, all right, that's great. You know, I've had best friends from high school stab me in the back, you know, 10, 15 years down the road. Is he going to be that guy? Or is he literally going to be the dude that stands by me? You know? So having that interaction at that first session, maybe even that second session is maybe even, partially more important than actually what happens within the session. Does that make sense? Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, ideally you want the, the players, the meld together real good and get going and be on the same page, but it's not always like that. Cause there's some distrust in the characters or, uh, you know, they'll have to get past that hurdle. It could be even something as small as like a different alignment, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and and ways to do that, like you said, maybe somebody can showcase a feat or a skill or an ability. Um, also, whatever's in their backstory, maybe somebody has a fear that you want to just shed a little bit of a light on, so that people can, uh, other characters can talk to them about it and say, well, what happened, you know? Or maybe there's somebody's connected to uh, a political figure or a royal figure, and you can say, well. Well, how are you so connected and get them interacting as their, their characters. And, and that's the, and there may be very few roles made in some of these situations. It's more so eliciting, pulling those things out of the characters, having the players get a chance to say, instead of starting the session by reading backstories, which is also a fun thing to do. I'm not going to say that's, that's bad by any mean, but more so role playing it out and saying, well, I don't really want to talk about it, or, oh, well, now, see, we see here this guy doesn't want to talk about it. Well, why don't you want to talk about it? Sounds like Daridus' backstory. It does, actually. That's, <laughs> I, was, I wasn't referring to Daridus or Shane's character in Nate's game. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. 
two shady motherfuckers there, but shit going on. But um, I mean, that colors the character because they don't want to talk about it. So that is the color that the other people get. Like, well, I don't trust you, and right. that's cool because I trust Shane very well in playing, but I sure didn't trust that character. God, such a crazy dynamic that you just. I mean, I've said this countless times already, but like this game is so. It's just so different than anything else out there, you know, like it's so different than a movie or a book or a video game or a board game. Like there's there's so many intric- uh, intricacies and in, intric- intricacies. Yes. Um, Smoke another. Yeah. Um, well, I, I feel like the options are almost endless settings, stories, character build, character types, um, personalities, uh there's so many variables, and, and every game is different uh, on all those levels. Right, yeah, so and not work. even yeah, like not even just D and D. Like we're we're I'm, I'm building a Star Wars game, but there's I mean there's Matrix, there's there's Star Trek, there's there's fantasy, there's sci-fi, there's medieval, there's I mean there's every every possible subgenre you could think of. I just special ordered the Stranger Things DVD book. Like I'm super excited to read that D and D book, like because it's based off Stranger Things. Like it's so yeah. odd. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Jim, what I mean, were you gonna say? I mean, yeah. I don't know when. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I, it's it's yeah. It is. It's it's even much more book. And I was going to allude to that, uh, like the Stranger Things thing. There is a book for that now. Yeah, but. Um, I know that there's people who play in campaign settings that resemble uh, a fire and ice or the, the popular HBO series right. Game of Thrones. Um, and there are and there's everything else. There's there are video game ones. I know that I've read a story about people who are playing as as if they were in the world of Zelda, you know, and that's cool, too. So yeah. it's so much more than that's in the book. And it's so much more. Now you can play exactly what's in the book, and people people get caught up in rules lawyering. To me, are kind of missing out because how you interpret these rules in a in a real game setting is is it needs to be fluid. It needs to be quick. It needs to be um, interesting, uh, not just by the book every single time. Yes, ruling do stay by the book if you can. If somebody at the table knows the ruling do do stay by that right stand by that if you can yeah you don't um, want to bog your session down with 20 minutes here and 20 minutes there of you know, looking up rules and things like that yeah and it's important to trust whoever the, the like the eldest playing member who knows like we have tommy and um he really knows the game and if you ever feel like as a player in some of my games that well jim's wrong on this you can always kind of defer to tommy and we let him be the guy that says no this is how it is and then i i humble myself and say okay and then we look it up afterwards and at the beginning of the next session okay guys this is the ruling we looked it up we were both wrong and this is how we're going to play it from now on yeah but but in that moment let's not stop especially if you're doing something like a ledge of legend of zelda game which hats off to you guys that's such a cool idea um whoever that is uh that some of the rules aren't going to work that well from the book. You're going to have to fudge some things in or come up with a ruling on your own as a storyteller or as a group that you want to talk about. And it can come up in session zero and say, hey, 
we're playing in the Legend of Zelda world, um, these are some things we need to think about. Or it can come up on the fly. And both ways, it's very important. But it's also important not to get too caught up in, and to figure it out outside. Because we talked about being 30s and 40s, how it's hard to pull together four or five hours to do this right as a as a group we all have four or five hours at some point in the week but at the same time it's crazy let's not spend it arguing over right. yeah uh nate do you have like any kind of closing thoughts that you want to approach onto us um i feel when you're world building and putting together story uh consistency and believability is important um you know you want to think about your environments what kind of flora and fauna is in them environments um i feel that stuff's very important when when making a story because you want to make it seem real even though we're playing these sci-fi and fantasy worlds uh, they still have these set boundaries that you gotta fit within and um i think to there's the more believable the setting and the further that'll go for you. Yeah, and you used a word there that I love to use, and I don't know if that's because we play in each other's games, <clears throat> but it's not it's not realism because we're mages and dragons and rangers, but um, it's believability, and you achieve that by exactly what you said, knowing. You don't have to um, put everything that you've learned about the campaign setting into the game fact that would be tedious monotonous for the players but when they're asking what does that look like you know mm -hmm. or what what I'm, I'm in this jungle what's around me be specific what plants do i see and if you can just on the whim nail a couple of things that like we talked about in an earlier session that everyone can relate to because you've seen these things yourself where you know what that feels like to have the heat and the the um the humidity and the wet feeling and the shade where the sun's hidden from you in the middle of a jungle, you know what that feels like, smells like, um, and you can portray it to your characters in a believable way with fantastic things. You, you've just yeah. sowed those seeds of believability that when something else crazy happens, we're invested. This world is real. And that goes the same for, again, like uh... – the monsters and creatures and people that they're encountering in these different environments, you know, you want to make sure that they're making sense and that they fit there in a realistic way. Like if you're in a swamp, you know, you're going to be expecting to be seeing like large insects, reptiles, um, maybe carnivorous plants, things of that nature. You're not going to find like a, a lion or something from a tropical environment or, Right. You're grounding it in reality. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> makes sense. Very important. So I just want to take this time now because I know that we're running a little longer. I thought we might having three of us on today, but I'm, I'm totally cool with that. And hopefully our listeners are too. Um, but I just want to give a shout out to uh, kind of our sister podcast and uh, in D and D 420, we've got, uh, the recaps for Vulcan and R and the from dust game. Um, and those guys have, it's an, it's an awesome podcast that they're doing called from dust recap. And then they have another one that they do called after dust, which 
kind of reminiscent of the walking dead and the talking dead um where they get a little bit deeper into their characters and they they're pretty much all stoned and just kind of uh <laughs> talking about how their characters feel in that one so you know if you get a chance that's on youtube that's on spotify all you have to do is search up dnd 420 that's the letters dnd just like this 420 the number and you'll find it uh those guys are hilarious a lot of fun and i think nathan is actually you've um from dust recap recently right got back in on that yeah yeah that and the, the after dusk as well yeah, it's good times. Good, it's fun to listen to. I try to keep my opinions out of those and let that be player driven, which is a cool tool. Also, just to mention to you, you, you all listening, um, if you can be a fly on the wall when your characters talk about your game, if you can figure out a way to do that, like I have with the From Dust and After Dust, your game's gonna just do nothing but benefit. It's been the best move I've ever made, um, and I appreciate my players for it and. I get to hear what they appreciate about my game. It's just reciprocal good times. So do listen in, um, like, and subscribe. Come join us. Tell us why we suck. Comment. Tell us why we're funny. Uh, whatever. Ask questions about the characters involved. Interact. Get involved yourself. Interact. Thanks for listening to this episode of the D&D 420 podcast. For everything D&D 420 related, check out dnd420.com. If you'd like to reach out to us, you can find us there on the website and on YouTube at D&D 420. Lastly, as always, if you'd like to support the show, you can do that by telling another DM about the show and by visiting us on Apple Podcasts and leaving a rating and review. Thanks for subscribing and being a part of our work here at D&D 420. We will see you next week.